Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service. Whether you're here in church or viewing from home, you are very, very welcome. I want to welcome also this morning the Robert, Robert Weisman. Robert Weisman is the UK representative of the Christian Jew Foundation. Robert, you are very, very welcome to Ballycrocken this morning. We're delighted that you've been able to join us, and we look forward to hearing from you later. I want to also welcome his wife, Rosamond, who has joined him today. Rosamond, you two are very welcome. We're delighted that you've been able to come to Ballycrocken. Now the announcements. Uh, Sunday Club, as you know, is not meeting in July, but Bible class continues as usual. And now an announcement about SISM. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, make a wee note of this, please. SISM will be on on the week Monday the 9th to Friday the 13th of August. Now, the critical date that you need at the minute is Monday the 19th, tomorrow week, because that's when registration takes place. Registration this year will be via the internet, and it will be via SISM's Facebook page. Now, I'll hope to have more details on that for you for next week, but it's tomorrow week, and you should know that due to COVID this year, the places are greatly reduced. So if you want to get a place on SISM this year, then it's critical that you get in for the registration tomorrow week. Uh, John Armstrong's just informed me that uh, if you haven't had a COVID job yet, then there is an option today in the car park opposite the bus station in Bangor. From 11 o'clock to 7 o'clock, the Moderna injection is available, and it's, all you've got to do is walk in. So that's if you haven't got your COVID job yet. And the last thing I want to say is, although tomorrow is technically a bank holiday, 12th of July, Jim will be here at his usual time for storehouse, and Kim will be here at her usual time for the free food. Those are the announcements this morning. Robert, it's my privilege and pleasure to invite you to lead our service. Thank you. With you friends here in this house of God, may the Lord bless our morning service, give him glory going to worship the Lord now by turning to our first hymn or song. I'll just cut the title. I stand amazed in the presence of the Lord. The first one we're going to sing, we stand for this. Now, I want to speak to the boys and girls. I realize that uh, most of them, or maybe all of them, are at home. So I've got something for them 
It's very, very diddy, very small. And I've got the real thing here. I'll show it to you. You can have a look at it. You, those of you who are here in the church building, you can have a look at it afterwards. But for the children at home, it's very small. That's why I've got some drawings of it. I'll hold it up. That's called a mezuzah. You might be wondering, what is this strange metal object? Well, actually, lots of them, maybe the majority, are made of wood. This would be olive wood from, from Israel. The cut-offs from the olive trees are often used to make small objects. This is a mezuzah, and you'll see our first picture. I've drawn a mezuzah, and it's an oblong box, and you'll notice it looks a bit like the top of Neptune's fork at the top of it. That's one of the Hebrew letters. It's shin, and it's the first letter of a Hebrew word, shaddai, which is the Hebrew for almighty. Now, you can probably see what I'm getting at. For the boys and girls, I want them to notice that this is something in the Jewish world. It's small, but it's very important. And let me explain a little more. Come to our picture number two. And you can see a scroll. Now, I'll show you again the real thing. It's very little. And a scribe would have made this. He would have made his own ink. It's a bit like Indian ink. He'd make his own black ink. And he'd use, instead of paper, this is probably calf skin. It would be the skin of what's regarded as a clean animal. And he'd draw his lines on the paper, on the, rather on the calf skin. And then, in the most exquisite, tiny writing you'll ever see in your life, and uh, I'm sorry if this is very, very small, but that's a writing of a scribe. And it's got some verses from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. And of course, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so this contains the Word of God. Now the scroll goes into the back of the container, and both have the same name. They're both called mezuzah. So let's come to our third picture, because that shows you where you'd fit it. Now that's a picture, supposedly, of someone's front door. And this would be fitted, the scroll would go inside the container, and the container, the box, would be on the top third of the right-hand doorpost of the front door. And if it's a very orthodox Jewish home, it'll be in most of the rooms inside as well. So, what's it for? Let's think about that. Well, let me tell you, I've written for you on this same piece of paper, the first two words. Now, that's not in English. You can see it's in Hebrew. And that says Shema Yisrael. So let's have a look at our fourth, our last pictures, the fourth sheet. And Shema Yisrael, I've translated that. The first two words of this little scroll inside, Hear, O Israel. Now let's think about that. Almost every Jewish home in the United Kingdom, there aren't many in Northern Ireland, there are only 300 Jews in Northern Ireland, but most Jewish homes, the United Kingdom and America and Israel and Russia and wherever they are, will have the mezuzah, the scroll, inside the box, and it's got the word of God inside, and it starts off saying, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. So this is what I want you, boys and girls, to learn from this, that the Jewish homes are marked out being different from everyone else, marked out with the word of God. And actually, even in those first two words, there's quite a message. Hear, O Israel. The people of Israel were told should stop and listen to what the Lord has to say. But we can say just this further thing, and that's this. You and I, boys and girls, we don't have our homes marked out with a little box with the Bible in it. We don't do that. But we do need to be different from everyone else. And maybe we don't have the Word of God marked on the outside of the home, but it's very important that the Word of God is inside us, that we know the Lord Jesus, the one who is 
the Word of God in our lives. Let's for a few moments pray for the boys and girls. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the boys and girls associated with our church. Lord, they're very important to us. And we pray, Lord, that in their young lives, they'll be marked out as different from everyone else because of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, that he has saved them and that he would make them different. We pray, bless each one of our boys and girls for Jesus' sake. Amen. come out she's going to tell you about a book she's written uh, hello um i started work in 2019 on some bible studies and these were about how to pray for israel in light of the end times and in January 2020, I had the first monthly meeting of ladies in our home to look at this subject and discuss it. In the group were ladies from um, my own church, Helens Bay Presbyterian Church, and also West Church, and a few others. <clears throat> then after just two monthly meetings, along came the lockdown. So I thought the best thing to do would be to turn these studies into a book and then people could read it at home and discuss it and share with friends and family rather than attending my group. So I'm going to read to you from the back cover. Those who pray for Israel do not need a book with formulated prayers. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. What is needed is written material to illuminate the mystery ahead, both for Israel and for the whole world. The Lord will do the rest. Setting the scene for the time of Jacob's trouble, and now the time of Jacob's trouble is another term for the last three and a half years of this age, is best approached with an eye for detail. This background will show us how to engage with the subject of the end times and will help us focus on the people of Jacob. It's a struggle to pray into a situation which we find mysterious. Jesus tells us to watch and pray, and for this we need to understand what we're watching out for. We need to discern the significance of what's happening on the world stage as well as what's on the horizon for Israel. So if anyone's interested in this book, then um, please have a word with me after the service. It's not really designed for everyone. It's just for those with a heart to pray for Israel. Thank you. Now, Rosamond and I have moved our mission. I thought I'd just tell you this. We were in northeast London, actually in Winston Churchill country, for many years, and we moved it from there to County Down. So now it's in Crawfordsburn. I can't really tell you anything about the mission because I think if I, if I go into details on that, it's going to cut in, into the time I've got for the sermon too much. However, we'll just tell you this. When we first came to Northern Ireland, which is just over two years ago, I wrote to every single Open Brethren Church in Northern Ireland. I thought I'd start with them because they tend to be very interested in Jewish work and in Israel and in the Second Coming. I thought I'd start with them and then write to some of the other denominations. From all my writing, I got one meeting, and that was almost next door to you, a Silver Birch Evangelical. I then went a whole year because of lockdown without any preaching at all and only just started to be able to speak in churches again. You'll know our minister because he comes to you regularly, Colin. We're, we're members at Helens Bay Presbyterian Church, sister church of yours. So it's a very interesting experience for me, having been to Silver Birch, then a long gap time-wise, and now come to you. Let's come to our... Second praise item, praise him on the trumpet. Let's again stand to sing this together. Praise him on the trumpet.
seated and now let's do that very thing let's praise the Lord our Heavenly Father we thank you that here we are this morning in the house of God this building is dedicated to the service of the living God here we acknowledge that God in your love sent the Lord Jesus to speak the very words of God for he is the Word of God and then, Lord, to be rejected and terribly treated by men and then put to death and then to break the bonds of death and then to be ascended into heaven later. We thank you that the head of the church is safe in heaven. We thank you for all the achievements of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, as is said to us at the close of John's Gospel account, there are many things that Jesus did and said not recorded. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful he witness he gave of the fact that God is love. We thank you for all the proofs provided, and particularly in him, the Lord of glory, laying down his life on the behalf of wretched sinners. We do thank you, Lord, that you've done this. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to forgive us. And we ask, Lord, that you will do that. Lord, there are things that we have thought wrongly and done wrongly, said wrongly. Lord, we know we're guilty of these things, and there may be many things that we're not even aware of that don't give glory to God. We bring these things to you and ask, gracious Lord, who specializes in forgiveness and love, be pleased, Lord, to forgive us. We pray, Lord, that everything that takes place in these minutes together this morning in the house of God will give you glory. Lord, we've already prayed for the children, but we think, Lord, of ourselves that you will bless us. We pray, Lord, that the scripture readings that we have this morning, the sermon, the singing of these songs and hymns will please the heart of God. We thank you, Lord, for all you provided for us. Thank you, Lord, you are creator. You are the sustainer of life. Thank you, Lord, you are the lover of my soul. We thank you, Lord, that we can walk with the living God. We thank you, Lord, that though we may grow weary and eventually physical death will take us, we thank you, Lord, that if we belong to you, then we already have the gift of eternal life and we'll be with you for all eternity, world without end. Lord, there are many things to thank you for.
Thank you, Lord, for all the good friends we can have in Christian fellowship. Thank you, Lord, for the better proportion that Northern Ireland has of real believers within the population. Do pray, Lord, to thank you for giving us this land where we can, we can serve the living God and we can carry out our work. We pray, Lord, be pleased to be with us all this Lord's Day and all the other days of the week to come. Do pray, Lord, that you will send a new minister to serve the people in this corner of your vineyard. Thank you, Lord, for all the service given by Leslie Ann previously. Pray, Lord, you'll bless her health. Be pleased, Lord, to continue with us now. Pray that you will be pleased and that people will be helped. For Jesus' sake, amen. Come to our first Bible reading for this morning. And I'm going to read from the pulpit Bible here, from 1 Kings and chapter 11. And going to read verses 1 to 13. There's a second reading a little later on, and that will pick up a little further into the same chapter. So 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 13. This is the Word of God. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his perfect word. Going to pray again to the Lord, going to intercede before him. This will lead on to a saying together the Lord's Prayer. So, going to pray again to the Lord. Do thank you, Lord, that you want us to pray to you. You want to hear things that are on our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that though we cannot see you, you are able to hear us, whatever is uttered before you. We pray, Lord, that you will bless our own nation state, the United Kingdom. Pray, Lord, you will give wisdom to those who have been put into government. Think, Lord, of Her Majesty the Queen, Prime Minister, and the government. Pray, Lord, give to them wisdom. Lord, we hear so much of the selfishness of mankind, including people who have political power. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul tells us to pray for those in authority, and therefore we want to, to do this. Do pray, Lord, that you'd bless the churches in Northern Ireland. We thank you, Lord, that we're open again, Lord, for the king's business. 
We pray, Lord, you'll bless us, each of the Presbyterian churches, and we pray for other evangelical groups also, Lord. Help us, those who are ministers and others involved in public ministry, Lord, in our preparation, that before the Lord we would seek the Holy Spirit to help us, Lord, that we should give honor to the Word of God in setting out before people what the Lord once said. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless our sermon today. Pray, Lord, it will be pleasing to you. Pray, Lord, we'll be able to retain something in our hearts from the Word of God, that it will stay with us and help us in our thinking and in our actions. Do pray, Lord, you'll bless the health of our people here in this church, whatever age people are, whatever is their background, whatever is their experience of the Lord. We pray, Father, bless us in health, bless us mentally, bless us spiritually. Pray, Lord, we'll be a people who you are pleased to work with, pleased to use. Do pray, Father, that you'll bless all of our visiting speakers booked in the weeks to come, oh God, that you would aid them so that they can be helpful to us and point us in the right direction when working from the Word of God, when opening it up. And Lord, we do pray with, for any with problems. Lord, I come here this morning not knowing anyone in this fellowship. There may be some with, with work needs or health needs, and we bring these matters before you. And we pray, Lord, whatever concerns we have in our hearts, there may be some families or some individuals who are on our hearts at the moment. There may be some very deep problem they have. We set these things before you, Lord, and ask for your help and ask for your resolution. And Lord, we thank you that when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he did graciously teach them. So, Lord, we want to say this together, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm going to come to the second Bible reading. We'll go straight from this into the sermon. So again, it's from 1 Kings 11, now commencing at verse 26 through to verse 40. This reads as follows. Also, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zeradah, and his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now, Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Hahiah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Hahiah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who observed my commands and statutes. 
I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt, to Shishak the king, and stayed there until Solomon's death. So now we come to our sermon. I'll give you the title, The Torn Garment of Jeroboam. And there are two points I want to make in the sermon. There are these. And actually, it splits very nicely. The first reading really gives us our first point. The anger of the Lord. And the reading we've just had, that gives us, well, I would class it as the predicted action of the Lord. So anger of the Lord, the first 13 verses. And then from the reading we just had, the predicted action by the Lord as a response. So let's consider, first of all, the first set of verses. Put a Bible with you, then we're looking at verses 1 to 13 in First Kings. Very interesting that in the Word of God, there's a great deal on the state of Israel, great deal about the kingships and the political situation, enormous detail in Chronicles and Kings and earlier on in, in the books of Samuel as well. Great deal of detail about Saul, David, Solomon, and then all the kings who followed, and there were lots of them. But there was a, a problem here, and it's kicked off in our opening verse. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, in a number of places, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 7, there were warnings given to the people of Israel through Moses, don't marry the foreign women. Now, you could argue, of course, I've thought about this one, you could argue, well, Moses married a foreign woman. She wasn't an Israelite. And Zipporah, that's Hebrew for little bird. But Moses' wife was from a godly group. And there was an exception there. So the point here must be the following that when the Lord gave the warning to Israel, you don't intermix with these other nations, it was because of a particular concern that the Lord had. Of course, the land that Israel, was, Israel the people, were to go into, not through Moses, but a little later on through Joshua, it was a land already occupied, a land of hills and valleys, a land with much in the way of stonework in it, but it was already occupied. And the problem was this. The people groups were involved in terrible things. They were. They were involved into the occult, into child sacrifice, great amount of killing, bloodshed. So the Lord said, look, Israel, you're going in. You've got to be different from them. And you will not marry with these groups. Because I'm telling you now, I'm warning you, if you do, you're going to follow the God's that they are following. And it's very interesting as well because the Lord described himself. It's a very interesting title. One of the titles that the Lord gives himself is, although God is love, he says, I'm jealous. He says, that's my name, I'm jealous. And it's a very interesting aspect of, of the living God, isn't it? He said then, he's jealous. Now, when he's jealous, what he means is this. I love you, I've made you into a people group, you belong to me exclusively. It's really just like a marriage. God said, look, Israel's married to me, you belong to me, you're to take after me, you're to be influenced by me, but I'm jealous. 
So what you don't do is go and mix in with the very groups you are to replace in the land of Canaan that would actually take up the name, obviously, of, of Israel, which um, actually that's a name that comes from the greatest wrestler of all time. You know who I mean. Jacob fought with the angel through the night and uh, was regarded as a very good fighter. So the Lord said, your name isn't Yaakov, heel grabber anymore. Your name from now on is Israel, fighter with God. So the Lord says, look, you belong to me. You're to be special. You're to belong to me exclusively, but I'm jealous. You get involved with the gods, the pagan gods of these people groups, and it's going to spoil you. It's going to wreck you. I'm jealous. I don't want you to be infected by their evil paganism, which is very cruel in addition. I want you to be quality. I don't want you to be spoiled. Now, we're talking about things that have happened thousands of years ago. I mean, go back to King David, it's 3,000 years ago. King Solomon, it's almost that. And you might be thinking, well, are we just looking at something historical here? But I think the principle still flows through that if today you and I are recommended to know what Jesus has achieved on our behalf and to belong to him, then we don't go and get involved with wrong philosophies at the same time. Don't, don't get ourselves married to the world's ideas. It doesn't matter if it's Darwinism or Islam or the Watchtower movement or modernism. We see there are all, the, all these bad influences. We're not to, to get a commitment to those things. Not a wonder that we're enjoined to not be unequally yoked. So you get married, the ideal is you marry one person from the other sex, and if you're going to be married, and you worship the same God, and you don't have these pagan and wrong influences affecting you because God remains jealous. I would argue the case God hasn't changed at all, so he's still jealous. He wants us wholeheartedly following Jesus. That's what God's ordained, and we won't get spoiled. So when you look at historical things like this, it's still very valuable. It's setting up principles that flow through into the New Testament as well. Now we look at our text. King Solomon, what does it say next? However, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Well, you see, in those days, it was a great temptation of ruling royal families, whether of what was in the united monarchy of Israel or anyone else, you got involved with marrying the royal houses of, of other nations. So you have a political and military alliance with them. You protect your nation, and that's, that's what you do. Again, in more modern times, you have the same thing. Think of uh, the Edwardian period, Kaiser Wilhelm II, related to Queen Victoria, but he got very jealous of uh, Britain's Royal Navy. He wanted to build a navy to, to match that, and he was very interested in having the world's biggest and most efficient army. Well, I'm not going to be giving you a lesson on the Great War this morning, but you know what I mean. The, the, in those days, all the royal families were sort of interlinked, so Britain was interlinked with Russia through the royal family and through, with Germany as well, but it didn't really achieve anything. All these, all these little links between royal families, it didn't really achieve anything. Still a terrible great war. And then you get the Second World War, part two of the same thing. So it doesn't really work anyway. But in those days, that was a temptation to link up with other royal families. Now look what King Solomon did. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, there's virtually half a dozen different nation states mentioned there, different people groups, all involved in idolatry. As Israel was expected to believe in the one God and to stay with him and sacrifice before him and listen to his instruction. This is a great biblical ideal. But did Solomon do it? Now, go on to read, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. And there's a reason given. 
because they'll surely turn your hearts after their gods. The Lord was saying, look, you can't do it. If you are exclusively mine, you belong to one God, the true God. If you go and have alliances through marrying the women of pagan nations, the influence isn't going to go be the good one going out to the rotten one. It's going to be the other way around. The Lord says that's inevitably how it works out. You end up tainted. You end up weakened. You end up respecting paganism. And the Lord says, I don't want you. You'll, you'll be ruined if you do that. What do you next read? Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Now, I was very interested when I read that. Solomon held fast to them in love, to the women, and it seems they're gods as well. It's a very sad observation you can make. If you read earlier in the first Kings 3 and verse 3, Solomon had been closer to the ideal. And Solomon loved the Lord. Do you know, it was the only reference I could find to that. At one time, in earlier times in his kingship, Solomon loved the Lord. But what do we read here? We read nothing of him having a steadfast, certain love for the Lord that's untainted. You don't read it again. What you read is this. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Now, I've got my wife here this morning. I tread carefully saying this. Look, the ideal is one man and one woman, isn't it? When God created Adam from the elements of the earth, I'm a creationist. I believe that uh, whatever Moses set out concerning creation, that's the, it's the authentic account. When God created Adam from the elements of the earth, Lord then made woman, made Eve, from the side of Adam. So one man, one woman. So if I was to say one woman should be sufficient for any man, you can turn the argument around the other way as well. One man is sufficient for any woman in marriage. One to one. So what does Solomon have? You can tot up the statistics here. It's quite easy. One man to 1,000 women. Now, that's moved right away from the great biblical ideal, one-to-one. A thousand women. What's that going to do to his brain? What's it going to do to his philosophy? What's it going to do to his commitment to the Lord? How's it then going to affect the united monarchy? When I say united monarchy, I mean under Saul, David, Solomon, a single state. Solomon started off in kingship so well. I, I'm sorry, I have to admit, I'm not a Solomon fan. Some of the people have spotted it in my preaching. I'm not a Solomon fan. I'm a David fan. Now, he did plenty of things wrong. He could list lots of things wrong. I haven't got time to go into it in any detail. But you know, he did some appalling things. David, he should have been out to war leading the army, but he didn't go out. He spotted an attractive woman, and he took this woman. It was someone else's wife. He commits adultery. In addition to that, he orders the army chiefs to send the husband, Uriah the Hittite, into the fiercest part of the battle deliberately so he'd get killed. So David was, a, was guilty of adultery, murder, and of course, in the first place, he, he was in the wrong place as well. So he did plenty of things wrong. But you see, the difference is this. When you look at David's life, when he's done things wrong, and sometimes it's pointed out to him, he came back to the Lord. He repented before the Lord, and he repented in good time. Still had things that were difficult in his life afterwards, but David had a personal walk with the Lord. And I think he was a good father. I think he encouraged Solomon to love the Lord. And he starts off like that. Look what happens later on. First marries the daughter of Pharaoh in Egypt, then takes on another well, circa 999, or possibly 1,000 extra wives. You know what I mean. He had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women, and they weren't expected to compromise. He doesn't say to them, look, you give up your gods, burn any idols, you will, along with me, worship the living God. Well, there could have been some sort of reformation of them. But what do you read? As Solomon grew old, verse 4, his wives turned his heart after other gods. 
His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. In other words, he became a great compromiser. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And now it starts to emphasize further God's discontent with him. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Now, when I was at school, if you repeated things, you'd get things crossed out, say, boy, this is tautology. You know, you've said unnecessary things. It's not like in the Bible. In the Orient, if you say something and you repeat it, it's like emphasizing it very heavily. So you've got these repetitions of God's unhappiness with the behavior, with the philosophy of Solomon. And it goes on. See verse 7. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, detestable god of the Ammonites. God says what he thinks of these false gods. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. No, they went on with their idolatry, and Solomon's quite happy about it. They go on, all these women, with their offerings, with their giving of their commitments to the false gods, and Solomon's happy with it. He goes along with it. But you see, the Lord's not happy with it. It's, I expect Solomon gave a bit of lip service to the Lord. You say, I expect he worshipped the Lord as well but in addition to all these others. Now, that's the very thing the Lord despised. Now, you'll know, much, much later on in history, in the year 95 AD, I've been to the Isle of Patmos, where John did his writing of the book of Revelation. The local understanding is that the Apostle John was there in the year 95. And therefore, when Jesus makes his observations of the early churches... What does he say of the last one, Laodicea? I would that you were cold or hot. You know, the Lord likes that. He likes having to be clear-cut. In other words, if they were cold-hearted towards him, okay, at least it's quite obvious. Or if they were hot, if they were on fire for the Lord, very pleasing. What is he going to say? But you're lukewarm. Spew you out of my mouth. The Lord says... I have a violent and unpleasant response in my inner feeling towards the Laodicean church. Lukewarm. You know, I have to say Solomon, he's lukewarm. A bit of service to the Lord, but just added on to all the service to these other gods. And the women weren't told to compromise. They weren't told to cut this out. They just went on with it merrily. So what do we read yet again? Verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who'd appeared to him twice. Although he'd forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, he didn't keep the Lord's command. So what is it the Lord says then? Now, I don't know whether he had another dream from the Lord or whether it was indicated in some way by a prophet like Ahiah. I don't know that. But we've got a sort of summary here. The Lord says, look, I've made this decision. You thought you'd be very clever. Have all these women, have all these alliances with all these foreign nations. You have political, military alliances. I think you'll secure the single state of Israel. What you've achieved, Solomon, is the very opposite. I'm going to tear the kingdom apart from you. I'll let you have one tribe. I know mathematically it's two, because Benjamin was very closely associated with Judah but I'll let you continue to have that in the line of David. Rest, I'm giving it away to someone else. Someone who's an underling in the empire of Israel. So let's come to our second point now. The proposed action by the Lord. And you've got that, the story here from verse 26 to 40. We can summarize it. We've already had the reading. There's this character introduced. Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And it says here, so it's a summary, he rebelled against the king. It goes on to give you the details. At first, Solomon spotted him and thought, here's a very efficient, big, tough guy. And he's put in charge of a lot of the labor forces. And then you read from verse 29 onwards, for whatever reason, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem. So at the moment, he's in Solomon's good books. Big, tough guy very dependable, in charge of a lot of building work, 
all seems good. Not as good as it seems. And there's a prophet, Ahiah. He met him, prophet from Shiloh, met him, wearing a new cloak. Now, you know from the reading, it gets ruined. I wonder if you've ever had a new garment that's been ruined. Well, okay, I'll confess I did it once. It was my own fault a long time ago. You can work out my age from this. Back in, I'm pretty sure it was about 1957, I was about six. My dad had bought me a new duffel coat, and it was sort of cream-colored with little toggles on it. Very smart, brand new. I was at my favorite place. I'll admit this, it was St. Pancras Station in London. I was terrified of the locomotives because the safety valves would blow steam and everyone would jump. But my dad said, whatever you do, don't stand against the sooty walls. And um, I was only six, and I'm afraid I rubbed against the wall. My dad was furious because where it should have been cream-colored, it had all the sooty marks spread across it, and I ruined a new garment. Now here, you've got the ruination of a new garment, but he didn't do it himself. You read there of the prophet being with Jeroboam, wearing his new cloak, so perhaps a very proud, very, very pleased with it. And the prophet takes hold, snatches the cloak off him, and tears it into a dozen pieces. I assume he throws it on the ground. Twelve pieces, look, there are twelve pieces. I'll let you pick up the majority of them. I mean, how do you feel about this new garment and someone does that to it and just wrecks it? But of course, there's a purpose to this. He said, ten, take ten pieces for yourself. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and I'm giving you ten tribes. Pick up ten pieces. That would represent ten out of the dozen tribes. But the prophet says, for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I have one tribe. And then, then he says why he's doing this. It's a judgment on Solomon. He says, look, because Solomon forsook me and worshipped, and it matches our earlier reading, Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moabites, Molech, the god of the Ammonites. Three examples are given. I suppose he could have given hundreds of examples. He chooses three. He says, look, Solomon's followed these. In effect, he's followed. He's gone right over to the other side. He's followed the paganism of his thousand or so women. But you see, this is so typical of the Lord. In judgment, there is some mercy as well. Verse 34, I won't take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I've made him ruler all the days of his life for, for David's sake. And the Lord's really saying through the prophet, I'll let Solomon live all the days that I've assigned to him. It'll still be a singular state, but its days are certainly numbered. I'll give one tribe to David so that there'll always be a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I've chosen to put my name. The Lord says, Jerusalem very special to me. It remained in the hands of the family of David under Solomon's son, Rechoboam. You can read about him later on. You know, sadly, both states were to be ruined. You see, there had been one singular state, united monarchy. It had flourished, had been built up really by David. And under Solomon, the first temple was built, the great temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon, if you look at the assets he had, I think that would match anyone in today's world. Solomon's assets were enormous. I mean, in, in in the service, at mealtime, so all the bowls, all the utensils, everything made of gold. They despise having silver for it. You can read about that. It was so rich. And yet, and yet, even though he started off loving the Lord, he entered into dreaded compromise. I think that's the lesson we can learn from God's history here. You know, both, both states were, were, were to be ruined. It's, all Sol it's actually Solomon's fault. That's the legacy of Solomon. But it'd be clever, have all these alliances through the women. It's all wrecked because his own heart didn't remain faithful to the Lord. See, there's a lesson in that for us, isn't there? If we belong to the Lord Jesus today, stay with him. Don't compromise. I can tell you, having come to Northern Ireland, I love Northern Ireland. I've always been a Northern Ireland fan, so I'm so pleased I'm one of us now. But when I was in the London area, so many churches, I have to say an awful proportion, were really modernist. You know, they didn't believe in creation 
and not bothered about the centrality of the gospel, not really too bothered if they think the Bible's full of mistakes and all this kind of stuff, and no real defense of the word of God, not interested in the second coming, saying, oh, I might come, and Jesus may not come for 10 or 20 centuries yet, all this silly stuff. You know, the Lord's coming is very, very close. I can't put a year in it, I can't put a date on it, but I think we're very, very close to the second coming. You see, no urgency. I, I, I've, I've had to battle with all of that. But you see, the lesson for all of us today is this, is that we shouldn't compromise when we're with the Lord. Stay with him. Let's not be like Solomon, who loved the Lord early kingship days. Later on, he both loved the women, but he followed their gods. He went along with the whole thing. And when the singular state was to be divided, this is all in the succeeding chapters, into Israel in the north, with Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He had his, his uh, false calves in Dan in the north, Bethel in the south, and he made anyone who wanted to to be one of the Kohenim, one of the priests. It was all compromised, the whole thing. That had 19 kings, all of them evil. Judah had 20 sovereigns from then onwards, had 20. One queen, 19 kings, eight of them godly. But you see, first the Assyrians took the northern state, 722 BC, and later on the Babylonians took the southern state, 586 BC, because the compromises had continued. Dear friends, let's love the Lord in response to his love for us. I say this to myself as well as to you. Let's stay with the Lord. Let's love the one who loved us. Let's not compromise. Let's come to our closing item to sing before the Lord. Number four, in Christ alone.
seated. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.